Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller, here as always with my dear friend and fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how are you today? I'm good, Marty. How are you? Great. Thank you. Can't complain. I'm looking forward to today's topic. I know you and I have been talking about this indirectly lately about you know programming, progressions, regressions. So I think this is a perfect opportunity to talk about lower body progressions. Yes, I agree. And, you know, we do appreciate the feedback and, and um, comments that we get from you guys. And so we just want to say thank you to our audience that listen to us each and every week. I know we can't uh, thank you guys enough. Um, and so we do appreciate the comments. And that actually is what kind of geared us up for this week, talking about lower body progressions. And, you know, when you're pro doing program design, I think it's very important that you really think about the client and what their assessment results are. And I know we say that each and every week. However, if, you know, you just look on social media or you read magazines and you're like, this seems like a really good lower body exercise for my client, it's going to, quote, crush them. Um, that really shouldn't be your end goal. You want to really think about quality over quantity and then also to ideal movement patterns so therefore when you're thinking about your brain and how we're re like educating the body to move appropriately that we actually have a good progression to get someone able to do that so you're saying my goal shouldn't just be to like crush people in the gym wendy uh well i mean if you do the, the thing that i i want to stress is i end up really getting or giving my clients an unbelievable workout by slowing down the tempo and being very strategic in my programming and being very specific in execution. And that's what sometimes we, we take for granted. It's not how many burpees can someone do or how many lunges and squats and how heavy of a bar can they lift. If they can't manage their own body weight and they can't move appropriately, then I'm not helping them at the end of the day at all. But, you know, I've had some people, even, you know, some NFL guys that come in and we start them in phase one and we really look at proper movement patterns and they're just drenched before they leave. And they're like, that was so incredibly hard. And it wasn't that I had them lift things that they were doing. I'm not doing Olympic lifting. I'm not lifting heavy. They just couldn't control what they already had. And, um, and then they ended up having an incredible season because we slowed things down and we increased the muscle activation that should be our end goal anyway. And, um, I, you know, I know we have said it over, um, you know, over and over, but it really is important. And that assessment really should help you, but also really thinking about progression. So therefore someone's going to be able to, to lift that heavy load later on. I know that should be the end goal, but start them right. And, and really think through your programming. Yeah. And there's different levels uh, and different ways to elicit fatigue, right? There's just total volume fatigue where, you have people move explosively, move heavy weight, doesn't matter the quality of the movement, you will eventually elicit fatigue. They will eventually get conditioned at pushing past that level of fatigue. Doesn't mean that they're moving efficiently or doing anything correct. I think when you, you, know, you and I both know what you're referring to is that you're eliciting fatigue more on a neuromuscular standpoint. You're getting the right muscles to fire at the right time with the only with the intensity that they can control so that way you change their movement pattern. So then eventually when you get out of stabilization, they can still move well with load and they can move well at high speeds. And what I love about today's lower body progressions, it doesn't matter what phase of training we're in. We are not talking about a specific phase, but it's always about go from here to here, to here, to here. 
and then just plug in, okay, I did it in stabilization endurance. Now let's go to strength endurance. Let's go to max strength. Let's go to power. So this is just something that I think that gets missed. People just start grabbing exercises instead of knowing what the right progression or regression is. And, and, you know, thinking about the program design, you know, as, as you are thinking about trying to enhance someone's program and making sure that you're kind of switching it up, you know, start them easy and then progress them to the harder times. And, and like you said, you know, Marty, this fits into every phase. And so when you're thinking about, okay, you know, we're just going to talk specifically about, you know, four exercises that start from the easiest to the hardest and think about why they become hard. And I know we've done things on the neural continuum and, and that is still important too, but it's also going to change up their workout. And so therefore you're not doing the same things over and over again. You're being creative with the programming, but you're also making sure too that neurologically, you know, you know, physiologically and everything, you know, that, that, that every, all cylinders are firing each and every week. And, um, and, you know, it helps with the creativity too. Exactly. So cool. So why don't we jump into it here as we move forward? I think we talked a little bit about this. You just mentioned, you know, from simple to complicated, right? There has to be a logical progression as you go through your exercises. And the framework that Wendy and I are going to teach you today, we're going to talk about four very specific lower body progressions, but you can still take the higher arching content of what we're doing and talk about any type of program whether it's cardiovascular programming, whether it's upper body programming, we're still going to follow this methodology of simple to complex. So that's going to be something that we talk about here and lay out. And then we'll talk about how I've already hinted on this. You can implement this progression in all planes of motion and all phases, and then review the application, of course, to the OPT model. Yes. And today on our master instructor roundtable, Marty Miller and myself, Wendy Batts, are talking about lower body progressions and, you know, I think this is really important and I'm really glad that we're diving into it. And, you know, Marty, again, going back to the OPT model, each phase serves a different goal. So when we talk about adaptation, all that means is a goal, but within each program or workout that you're doing with a client, you need to have an end goal as well. And you need to think about the model being progressive, your programming, it should be um, um, progressive as well. And so as we dive into the next slide here, that's, that's where we're headed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, Wendy, you and I've talked about this before. We may talk about muscles to our clients. We know we're looking at movement patterns. We don't have to over-explain things all the time to our clients. Sometimes you can get into that, but the key thing is we're training movements, not muscles. So if we're looking at squatting or sprinting or bounding, that is a variation of triple flexion to triple extension, right? They're all the same. The difference would be the basis support would be the depth and explosiveness and the tempos, but biomechanically you should see the same thing as this person's doing it. doesn't matter what phase of training they're doing. So that's where we want to start is understand when you prescribe an exercise, you're truly prescribing movement patterns, which yes, you can identify the muscles if you want to speak to that with your clients. Yeah. And if you look at that picture, I think it's important. We always talk about triple extension and triple flexion. And the reason and the purpose of us explaining this, you know, over and over again is because that's how you walk. If you have 20 degrees of dorsiflexion, which means you're, you know, you pull your toes back towards your, your shin, or I always say toes to nose, um, you're looking for ideally 20 degrees in order to have ideal movement in the ankle. And, you know, and so when you're able to do that, you're pushing off 
into your walking pattern or your gait appropriately without you know, with, without the chances of compensation, again, other things may not be working correctly, but ideally we started the foot and ankle for that reason. And so as we go through these exercises, you're going to hear us say, Hey, triple extension, triple flexion. And it's because it translates into activities of daily living. And it's something that somebody needs in order to run faster, you know, get into these bounding and sprinting and squatting motions without compensation. So it is a very important movement pattern. And that's one of the reasons that we include this slide time and again. Yeah. And even if you don't train elite athletes, you're training athletes, you just might train senior athletes. Think about that individual that could be at the higher age spectrum and they can't fully uh, elicit or show you good gait, right? They can't, they shuffle. So they're not going to be efficient in triple flexion extension. So you're still building that into even their programming. It's just on the spectrum of what they're capable of, but everybody should be moving that same way. Yes. Very well said. We try. We try. <laughs> that might be all you get from me today, but at least I got yeah. And so, you know, Marty and I talked about simple to complex, regardless of the phase of training. And so every single time a client moves up into a different phase of training, their brain and their body has to, you know, understand the different tempos and now maybe the different loads or are, you know, are you, you know, really focusing on, on balance? Is it now on two legs? Is it the, the volume or, or are we increasing sets? So all of, all of the times that, or each and every time that you move up, you have to think, okay, you're reprogramming, you know, a system that is starting at zero and trying to get it to a hundred percent. So therefore you can, you know, take them to the next level when you're reassessing them and, and hopefully their body has adapted to what you've been doing each and every week. And so it's very, very important when you're looking at the phases of training to think that start it simple. And often if you're going from phase one to phase two, you can take all the programs that you've done in phase one, even from the very start, and then start adding the strength component in front of that stabilization exercise that you did because that's going to be the superset that's going to get you eventually to phase three and building that muscular development. So, you know, keeping your programs are going to be important, making sure you've got good progressions are going to be important. So therefore, when you add that strength one in phase two in front of that, that the uh, stabilization one, their body already kind of knows one of them, but you're adding something different, even if it's, you know, a, a gym person that goes in all the time and they know how to quote lift weights. Um, it's important to think now you're pairing some, some stuff up. And so each, each mind, like your mindset should be when you're designing programs that you want to set your clients up each and every time for success and really following the five kinetic chain checkpoints. So just, just as a reminder, five kinetic chain checkpoints are your feet are pointed straight ahead. Your knees are in line with the second, and third toe. Your hips are in line with, with, um, you're about shoulder to hip with the part when you're standing and the ASIS. So your hip bones are in line with your knee, you're drawing in, you've got your shoulders back and your head ba is back. And so that's going to be important to maintain. So therefore, you're actually making sure that, as you said, Marty, the right muscles are firing at the right time and you're not compensating when you're doing some of these lifts. Yeah. And Wendy, I know how passionate you are about the five kinetic chain checkpoints. You probably have uh, dreams or nightmares about the five kinetic chain checkpoints. Yes. Uh, she will never, ever, ever deter or you can get her, get her off of those, which is great, right? It's either right or it's wrong. And you're either loading somebody for success or you're loading them for failure in a way, right? And Wendy, your point is so well taken on the strength endurance. Same thing with as we go towards that power superset is if you've gotten them to that point, they should know those exercises. So now you might just unload it and have them do that same pattern at a more explosive tempo with whatever 
is good for them. So before we go on, I want to welcome everyone that's just joining us on this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. Myself, Morgan Miller, here as always with Wendy Batts, and we are covering lower body progression. So Wendy, where do we head next? We're going to dive on in. I'm ready to go. <laughs> that's so that's when, my look every morning right there. Scratching oh, my head. Probably when I'm calling you, you know, super early talking about the day. <laughs> I am up. You've never woken me up. You've yet to do that. <laughs> but, you know, when you look at these images, this is often how I feel when we're, we're talking to some newer trainers that are really just now starting with the OPT model. They're like, oh, my goodness, this is confusing and it's hard and I don't know what to do and I don't know if I'm choosing the right exercise and how do you know? Well, again, if you think about starting from the basics and then moving yourself up into a more complicated and progressive type exercise, you're always going to set the client up for success. And the, the beautiful thing about the OPT model is that we really try to give you a blueprint. Here are the acute variables and the acute variables, your sets, your reps, your tempo. And, and if you're thinking about execution are did they maintain the five kinetic chain checkpoints where does compensation start to occur and when was that exercise too complicated and so when you're if you're feeling this way if you if you have that look on your face when you're designing programs then really think about just looking at the model and just taking each and every phase and those acute variables setting them aside and then take what we're talking about when you're dealing with the lower body exercises and think of this progression and we're going to talk in detail about the squat, the step up, the lunge, and the single leg squat. And we're going to talk about why that is a progression. Because, I mean, while it sounds so simple, what the body has to be able to execute, and if you're looking for really technical and ideal form, each of them serve a specific purpose to get you to that highest level of a single leg squat. You know, often we'll see people that in their second or third workout are already, you know, having a client that's new to the gym. They have a bunch of compensations. They look at resistance and they're like, oh, well, it says that it needs to be unstable. I'm going to put them on a single leg and let's do a single leg squat without thinking about some of these other exercises that you really want to kind of master before you get to that in order to help them execute it easily and with with ideal form and, and hopefully proper movement pattern. Yeah. And I think part of it, Wendy, is you and I have talked recently about programming. And as you know, uh, both of my twins are starting to go through the NASM CPT right now and they'll ask me questions. And I am that annoying dad where I just restate the question back to them because I'm not trying to give them an answer. I want them to think. I believe what happens a lot of times people think of what's my next exercise, not what's the movement pattern and how do I progress or regress the movement pattern. So as we listed four exercises, squat, step up, lunge, and single leg squat, they are the same movement pattern. They are versions of triple flexion, triple extension. So if you look at that when you're doing your lower body uh, program design, there is no confusion. But if you're like, oh, I'm, today we're going to do step ups or I'm going to do a lunge, you're, you're thinking exercise, not movement pattern. So that's mm -hmm. where I always go back to what's the movement pattern? what's the next progression or regression, depending on how they're doing. Then from there, you've got countless different versions of squats, step-ups, lunges, and single leg squats, right? And then it becomes a lot easier. And if you think about too, when, when you're talking about movement patterns, think about the prime movers. What muscles should you be targeting when you're doing these exercises? And if you look at your squat and you look at your lunge and your single leg step-ups and, and the single leg squats, 
people are often, like you said, thinking about exercises. I'm looking at, well, what muscle am I actually working? And therefore, if I'm going to do a combination, so let's say I really want one to be very quad specific and one to be very hamstring specific. Well, this is all going to be quad and glute. These are your prime movers in a squat and a step up and a lunge and a single leg squat. However, the base of support, which is what we're going to get into and the whole purpose of this and what makes them more challenging at times versus just adding load. We're talking about your body challenge is the fact that, you know, you need to have good range of motion in the ankles. And you want to think too, if I do a squat, a single leg step up, I mean, a step up, a lunge or a single leg squat, those five kinetic chain checkpoints should always be in proper alignment. So if I told you when we're doing one exercise, well, I want to make sure that one side of your body is completely lined up. If it, if you're on one side, then it should start to make sense. And, you know, think about the overhead squat assessment. What are we looking for? We're looking for a, the five kinetic chain checkpoints from the anterior view, but even from the lateral view, we're looking for those parallel lines and those parallel lines are going to be extremely important in all four of these. Because if you have those parallel lines and why we look for it in the assessment, then that lets us as trainers know that we've got equal weight distribution between the ankles, the knees, and the hips, which again, very important, especially before we start adding load. As we always say, you got to earn the right to go to the next level, right? So that's the key point. Anyone can just go in there and burn calories and move inefficiently and pick up heavy loads incorrectly and have no progressions. You don't really need us for that. Where we come in as fitness professionals is we kind of, hopefully our clients may have this look on their face or that, you know, flow chart on the opposite side where we can easily navigate that for them. That's where our true value starts to come in. Yes. And today in the Master Instructor Roundtable, myself, Wendy Batts, and Marty Miller are talking about lower body progressions. And so we just listed the four specific lower body exercises we're going to now go into detail and talk about. So number one, let's go to the next slide. We're going to look at the squat. And the reason why the squat actually is number one and, and technically the easiest is because you can do a, a bunch of different things with it, but you do have a wider base of support. And when we say wider, we're thinking about, again, shoulder to hip width apart, with the feet pointed forward. This is different than if you're doing an Olympic lift or you're doing a max load lift or, or you're doing it for sport. We're talking about working out, trying to help someone execute proper movement patterns with the least amount of stress to the joint and making sure too that the prime movers are, are doing the job. And so if you think about this, we've got, we're on two legs, you've got a wider base of support, you've got two legs that are carrying the load. And so if I'm lifting something, whether it's a kettlebell and I'm doing, you know, or a bar, or I'm even just doing body weight, or I've got dumbbells to my side, I could do a squat on the ball. So the ball squat that you'll see in our textbook as one of the beginning types of squat is the purpose of that is because you can bring your feet outward just a little bit and start to help as you're foam rolling and stretching your calf complex to give you a little bit more dorsiflexion so you can execute that squat with those parallel lines and try to help teach your body how to move accordingly. So yes, number one squat, main reason, wider base of support. Yep. And Wendy, when you say outward, I know what you mean, but you mean outward away from the wall into plantar flexion, not outward yes. 
shoulder width. Yes, not wider base. I'm sorry. Yes. So thanks no, for the I, I knew, but you know, I just and the reason I bring that up is this brings me back to a, a deja vu moment where for a long time squats had a bad connotation when we grew up in the industry or I did. The only way you'd squat is if you had a bar on your back. So I had a conversation one time with an orthopedic surgeon. He's like, Marta, I need to talk to you. You have too many people squatting. I'm like, sure, doc. We'll talk about it. Be, see you in 10 minutes. So I got him up and said, hey, come to my office. Had him sit down. I said, you know what? It's, it's too loud in here. Let's go over here. And I had him move four times up and down. He's like, what do you, Marty? I just want to talk. I said, doc, you just squatted four times. I have a feeling you went to the bathroom today. And he looked at me, he goes, what? what? I said, we're working on range of motion. We're working on triple flexion, triple extension. And I showed him when we did it right, that the knee was in the right position. Cause he's like, oh my God. He's like, I've been doing orthopedics for years. And I always thought squats were bad. He's like, thank you. Because again, people don't understand exercises. A lot of times people go into their doctor and say, yeah, I did this exercise and it hurt me. Well, if you didn't do it with right form and technique, if you did it with too much load, yes, you might get hurt. But this is an essential movement pattern that every single person we work with, you need to teach them some level of a squat. Now, maybe you're going to work within a limited range of motion. You may not get them to go to 90 degrees. And they may never do a squat loaded. That is okay. But we have to be able to establish this movement pattern for activities of daily living, or they're going to be in a lot of trouble. So mm -hmm. I'm glad that, you know, that kind of bad nomer of squats is kind of past us in the industry, but you and I both went through that for sure. Yes. And another, you know, point to that, you know, when we're thinking about what we've heard in, in the past you know, people always said, if your knees go past your toes, that, you know, basically, you know, this is what's causing the stress and it's really bad. Well, well, guys, again, knees should go over your second and third toe, not past, because if it goes past, then you're lifting your heels up and you are putting a substantial amount of body weight. And if you're holding ex um, external load, that is putting a lot of pressure on the anterior portion of your knee. When in all reality, if you have your foot flat and you have your weight dis, uh, dis, yeah, distributed, can't even th say the word this morning, um, distributed appropriately, then, you know, you should be executing proper movement patterns and using the prime movers to help get you up and down. So, so when you're thinking about that too, we're thinking again, why we, we talk about the, the parallel lines. If you have them, then your knees should go over your toe. If you go behind, if your knee doesn't go over the toe, then you're probably increasing excessive forward lean because then you're, you're restricting that dorsiflexion. You're not getting, you know, those lines. And so therefore to get lower, they use their lower back. That's not ideal either. And one of the main reasons why we look from a lateral view for that is to make sure there's no extra load in the back and we're keeping those feet flat and just going down to what they can control without compensation to Marty's point, I don't want your, your butt to the floor. I really don't because then I know that I'm probably going to increase some kind of posterior pelvic tilt and I'm not using the right muscles. Right now, I just want someone to squat with good alignment and form and to go down to the range of motion that they can control, not what I want them to do because I might think they can go lower than they can and that client should, should be the one in control by telling you this is all I've got before compensation and you stop them right before that moment or that movement, um, you know, any kind of uh, compensation starts to occur. Got it. Love it. Thanks, Wendy, for that clarification. Yes. 
So from here, people always say, well, I don't know what to do next. Well, if you look at triple flex or triple extension, we go from the squat with the wider, meaning in comparison to now when we start to stagger our feet, not wider, as Wendy said so eloquently, we're not going outside our shoulder width. So a step up is limited depth, right? I can do a two inch step, a four inch step, a six inch step. Generally speaking, Wendy and I will both say, once you get to 90 degrees, that's about your limit of a step up because if I go a little higher, I now have to posteriorly tilt. So you can really control the depth on a step up. So there's a lot of progressions, but you're starting to transition from two legs towards one leg. So much more range of motion as you get through the step. But again, when I look at from the side, everything Wendy said, the shin angle and the spine angle should be the same. I don't want to do a step up straight up, straight down. I need a little bit of that uh, pitch forward to get the stretch reflex in the glutes, but that's just what you taught them in the squat. So you're just now taking that next level of getting them through the same movement pattern and starting to transition to more depth, more time on a single leg. And I think too, when people do step ups, one thing that I've noticed and Marty, I know that, you know, with you doing it as long as I have, and when we have taught workshops in the past, when people do step ups, they step up and they don't have a purpose. And to your point, you want to slightly lean forward again, not leaning like where you're bending um, into an excessive lean, but make, making sure that, that like you said, that the shin and, and the lower back and torso have that alignment. But when they come up, they should put all of their weight on that loaded leg. So if you're stepping up and again, it doesn't matter the height, it's the height that they can control without compensation. If they lean forward just a little bit, you should be loading that front quad and that front glute. And then when someone steps up, you can do a two leg, you know, meaning that 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 bottom leg now joins them onto the step. Or if you wanted to try to see if they could do a step up to balance, totally different exercise. Well, you know, you have to have really good control. Another way of doing a step up again, still in the sagittal plane. But when they come down, that bottom leg should only tap the floor. It shouldn't be like you're rolling all your body weight off of it unless they need a break. And then at that point, then you know what they can or cannot control. People will step up. They just come up for a second. They step right back down. They rock back up and they rock back down. And it's not an intentional movement. It should be very slow and controlled. Lean forward, come up, really squeeze the glute and the quad of the leg that is on the step. They should slowly lower back down. You can do a toe tap, or if they do need to come completely off, then you want to make sure that that back foot does not turn out. So no external rotation, especially if you're working on someone that has shown to have overactivity in their calves during the assessment. That's going to be a, an easy compensation that they're going to want to do each and every time. So watch that because you're going to have to cue them over and over again. Um, just to make sure that they're maintaining proper positioning and alignment while they're executing the exercise. Excellent. Great points, Wendy. And for those of you just joining myself, Marty Miller here with Wendy Bats on the this week's Master Instructor Roundtable, we are talking everything lower body progression. So cover the squat, cover the step up. And now as we move forward, we will get into the lunge. Yes. So as we mentioned before, right, Wendy, it's triple flexion, triple extension. You started with two legs. You started to transition to a single leg or more dominant on one leg with the step up. All the key points that Wendy said. Obviously, I would assume that people would go from a two inch step up a little bit in the step height before they'd go to the lunge. But if appropriate, now you can get them into the lunge. 
where you're still going to have the same form and technique where your shin and spine should shift forward slightly. So you have that good stretch reflex, the good load distribution that Wendy's talked about. And now you can transition them to a lunge. So I love lunges. It's one of my favorites for lower body. But again, people have to show me that they can earn that right to get there. Yes. And this is also one that doctors have said can be very detrimental to someone and that someone shouldn't do lunges. And, you know, these can cause so many knee issues. And if you do them incorrectly, they are absolutely correct. However, if you drop a piece of paper on the floor, you need to lunge down and grab it. You're going to go and pick something up. You're going to bend over. You're going to have one, you know, one leg out. You're going to reach and then stand. These are all activities of daily living done in a different way and without even, you know, thinking about what you're doing. You're just moving with life. If someone does a lunge, okay, you should also, just like you did in the squat, just like you just did in the single or in the uh, step up to balance or step up, even if it's not a balance, but just a step up, you should be loading that front leg. So oftentimes you're going to hear a client complain, this is really hurting my back knee. Well, I can't execute this. This kills my knee. And it's not usually the front knee that they're talking about. It's, it's usually the back. If it is someone's back leg and someone is really tight in their hip flexor complex, another very, very common compensation, and their torso is upright and basically in line with that back knee, so when you're looking at someone, they're, they're up, they're making basically a 90 degree angle with their front leg, torso is upright, and their, their back knee is in line with their, their torso. Then what that means is if they don't have good range of motion in their hips, they're actually pulling because their quads and their hip flexors are so tight, they don't have that give in the knee. They don't, you know, like meaning it's pulling on that knee joint. So it is very uncomfortable. However, if you're doing a lunge correctly and you have that slight lean forward and you're looking for parallel lines with that front leg and the torso and you've loaded that front quad, that back leg should act only as a kickstand. That's it. You shouldn't really be loading that back leg at all. And if anything, when someone's getting up from a lunge, they should be executing the prime movers of that front leg. And so therefore their quad and glute on that front leg is the the, the main leg you should be focusing on and then as they come up you can have them balance again if you want meaning if you want to progress that lunge or you can have them do stationary lunges in the beginning you can have them there's so many different variations of lunges that you can do just even in the sagittal plane however load the front leg do not load the back leg have that slight lean with the, those um those uh parallel lines and you're going to decrease the amount of stress to the knee and that is a big reason why parallel lines equal weight distribution. I'm going to say it a thousand times today because it is that important. And one of those that we see um, happen very often. And the number one complaint I hear when people do lunges and number one reason they're just not doing them correctly. Yeah. And Wendy, the only thing I could add to that is totally agree with what you said on that situation. The other thing that I see sometimes is for people that maybe have cleared up that hip flexor tightness in the back leg is when they take their step out, uh, they're focused on the front leg. Well, once my client has good uh, balance and support on that front leg, if they really focus on driving the back knee to the ground, the front leg will go where it needs to go. Now, there's a few other teaching cues in there, but that's one of the things that I've noticed is 
they'll try to bend the front leg. They'll get themselves too far over it. They can't get the depth they want. So I'll cue them to be like, okay, put your foot out, get in position, chest forward a little bit. Now lower your back knee to the ground. And then voila, all of a sudden they're like, oh, that feels so much better. So mm -hmm. I, I find that it falls into one of those two camps where they're either too restricted and it might not be the right exercise or that they're focused on bending the front leg instead of the back leg towards the ground. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a wide stride too. I think that's also important. And one thing that, you know, people are like, look how far I can go. And then their lower back arches. And, right. you know, so what I, what I will do just to see if we're in a good positioning, I may even, you know, just for support is when they go down and we're really working on lunge mechanics is I say, okay, now take that back leg away. Again, you know, I, I need to make sure they have really good balance, but they should be loaded on that front side. So if, if they can't do it and they start to fall everywhere, then again, you really want to spend some time working on, on how they're executing it just to ensure they're doing it correctly. I thought you were going to say you pushed them or something. That's well, hey, perturbation, you know? <laughs> well, that's, that's a nicer way of saying it, but like, I know how you are. Like, <laughs> I, can see, I can see a little shove there. So in this week's Master Instructor Roundtable, Marty Miller and myself, Wendy Bass, are talking about lower body progressions. And we're talking about four key exercises that can help you with your program design and helping you decide when is the most appropriate time to actually program this for your client. Number one, can they do a, a really good squat? Really work on squat mechanics and really try to help clean up some um, imbalances if you notice that into the assessment. Number two, go up into a step up. Again, doesn't matter about the depth of step, it just matters about execution. And number three, we just talked about lunges. Lunges obviously are awesome. They actually can increase your heart rate too. So when you're thinking about a weight loss client is a very good exercise to incorporate. And then number four, Marty, why don't you take us through the single leg squat? Yeah. So we do a single leg squat assessment frequently with not with, it's not required for everybody. Right. And most people do not pass a single leg squat, but then within a, like you said, Wendy earlier, or within a day or two, we see people doing single leg exercises. It's like, well, if they failed the assessment, why would we use that as part of their exercise? So this is something you have to get to the point where you've earned that. And a single leg squat is very challenging because you have your entire body weight on that one leg. So there's going to be a, a much higher demand for neuromuscular coordination, stabilization, balance, and strength and stability. So all of those things are wildly important. Now, any of these exercises that we talked about doesn't mean you can't find regressions. So, you know, if it's time to start with a single leg squat, maybe you give them a little balance versus use the suspension training. We don't have to go right to a single leg and just kind of like put them in the middle of the gym floor and expect them to do it on their own. You, you might be able to, if you went through those progressions, but anytime you start something new, don't be afraid to find a regression to it. Like a ball squat is to a squat. Maybe a suspension training single leg squat is the way to start introducing it. But the key thing is this should be the last thing that they work towards, not one mm -hmm. of the first. And, you know, once again, we're looking for those particular, you know, uh, parallel lines on the side. That's that floating foot should stay right beside the planted foot. So therefore, if they are losing their balance, you've got, you know, you've got support right, right there. If you're not using something with your hands or, you know, you're not close to a bar it does not matter about range of motion to start. It is literally making sure that their torso does not lean forward. Or one thing that we see very commonly is they start to internally kind of rotate towards, um, you know, towards their, their leg. Um, and it's mainly because they're still lacking that neuromuscular control 
and or core strength. And so I, it's very important to think about your programming to get someone to do a single leg squat. And, you know, as a progression, if they can easily do a single leg squat, you've worked towards that, you can do something called a single leg squat touchdown, which just means they increase their range of motion. And, you know, you grab a weight, if you're standing on your right foot, they go into a single leg squat and their left, the, the left hand kind of go toward, goes toward the um, leg that's on the ground. Again, maintaining proper alignment in their lumbopelvic hip complex is super important. But, you know, having strength in the arch of the foot is going to be important because that's also going to kind of tell the knee what to do. If you notice that someone can't do this, their knee keeps shooting inward, it's not okay to keep doing that. That means you still need to work on strengthening their outer hip and then maybe regressing back into a lunge. Again, a lunge is just a single leg squat with the kickstand. So all of these exercises, they are the exact same exercise just decreasing that base of support that we talked about in the very beginning with the squat. Right. And that's where, as we talked about the beginning, so for any of you that are just joining the Master Instructor Roundtable right now, myself, Marty Miller, Wendy Batts, we're talking about lower body progressions, but we did cover a lot of the other science that, you know, we need to speak to when we're doing any type of exercise. So have, you know, go back to the squat, go back to the step up, go back to the lunge. And we're not really talking about one phase of training. But if I had gone through all these four steps in stabilization, if I go to strength, guess what exercise I'm going to start with? The squat. So this will help you as you design your programs, always have a pattern that you go through. Mm -hmm. Yep. Fundamental movement patterns, guys. We talked about it before. These are exercises right. of daily living. And, you know, and as Marty just said, all four of these fit within the model some way, some shape or some form, whether you're loading it, whether you're doing them and, you know, um, in different levels. But again, what's really going to help someone do these correctly is thinking about the tempo. Remember, when we talk about in the book, we're talking about slow. We're really working on eccentric movement. We're slowing things down and then we're coming up. So like a four, two, one, you're going down slow, you're pausing, and then you're coming up for one second. And then you're repeating 12 to 20 times. And then again, when you you know start going into more strength, it might be a two zero tempo, you know, two zero two. So going down for two, coming up for two and making it more fluid, but you're adding less repetitions because you're adding load more, you're adding weight and you're adding, you know, some different types of um, exercises and the same thing for the lunges and then the single leg squats. But, you know, that kind of brings us to our last slide, Marty, really thinking too, that all of these exercises that we're talking about should, should, and could usually start out in the sagittal plane, right? But also think you've got the frontal plane that should be the next you know, way of looking at some of these exercises and then transverse. Most injuries occur in the transverse plane. So you want to start with the easiest plane of motion, but think we move in all three planes. You need to train in all three planes. Right. And I've done this in live workshops and put it up on the board and people are like, oh my God, it, now it's so simple. So if we're going to do a four week training program per phase with somebody, right, we're going to go stabilization endurance. So week one, I do my squats and let's assume they progress pretty quickly. Week two, I might bring in the step up week three. I might bring in the lunge week four. I might bring in the single leg. Then we go to strength. Well, guess what? Squat week one, you see the pattern go through the four week progression. If we go to power, if they're ready in four weeks, we start back with the squat Then we go to the step up Then we go to the lunge. Then we go to single leg. So you have all your answers right there for your entire 12 week program. Then again, the other way you can undulate it is week one, 
I'm going to do sagittal plane. Week two, I'm going to start focusing on frontal plane. Week three, I might focus on transverse plane. Week four, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, right? Or set one, set two, set three. So it, it's really simple to lay out a blueprint. And then from there, not everyone's going to follow that blueprint, but at least you can then adjust off a really reproducible, scientifically well thought out plan on where they should be on those four exercises with the three phases of training, you know, from stability, strength to power, as well as your three planes of motion. It truly can be that simple. Yes. So we're trying to de-stress some of our newer trainers and remind some of our veterans because it's easy to forget. You know, I caught myself the other day. I was reprogramming someone's exercise. I'm like, man, I haven't done anything in the transverse plane. And it had been like a couple of weeks, which is not like me, especially when I was doing some undulation with this one particular client, because we were focused and so, you know, focused on one, one aspect versus looking at it as a whole. And so, you know, sometimes these reminders guys are, are good for myself. I know they're really good for Marty too. And, and all of the people that listen onto our, our network. And, and so we're, I hope you find this one very, very helpful because, you know, it, it, we don't exercising and programming should not be difficult. It's just have your rationale and understand fundamental movement patterns are important. Activities of daily living happen. And if we can execute this throughout their workout with you, it's only going to translate into something that's going to be very beneficial and safer for them with what they're doing, whether they're working, you know, working out, doing things with their kids or just trying to get up and down from, you know, toilet. (laughs) As you said, no comment. (laughs) But at the end of the day, people want, um, to have fun. They want to, you know, they want different, they want change, just do the change in a planned way, right? Ball squat to suspension training squat to the, like, you don't have to throw out the science because people want different stuff, right? I could give you a hundred stabilization level, different squats. And, you know, we could go through all that, but I think everybody understands. So Wendy, I think this was a great topic and I think we mm-hmm. hopefully covered it well for everybody. So do you want to kind of just fire through the key takeaways? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, just think about what the assessment showed in the very beginning. And from that point, you know, think about exercise progressions. And if you're thinking about lower body, you know, what we just talked about, hopefully it's going to help you. Same thing as Marty said, thinking about upper body, you know, two arms, one arm or two arms, alternating arms, single leg arm. Again, those are different progressions for your body parts. Always think about all three planes of motion. So, you know, we actually have the bullet on here twice. Can you apply these to all phases of training? We put it on there twice. Why? Because we want to make sure that you understand. Can you? And the answer to that is yes and yes. And then again, just also thinking about proper progressions and regressions, whether it's in the in the different phases, phases of the model or in the different um, planes of motion. And so. You know, I, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really like I was excited about this one. Um, you know, again, I, I find them very helpful personally. But when you give everyone your contact information, please. Yes. If you guys have any questions at all, please feel free to email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org. Or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And then our awesome producer, Eric's going to throw mine up here right on cue. Look at that. My Instagram is dr.martymiller72. My email is marty dot miller at nesm.org feel free to email us reach out to us on instagram let us know if there's a topic you want us to hit in the near future but thank you all for attending and we look forward to seeing you next week on the master instructor roundtable